This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Really excited to be joined by Mr. Christopher Harris of Harris Football to kind of take a look where... Closing in on the start of the NFL season, I wanted Chris to come on, kind of set the stage for us a little bit with some more rookie talk. Now that training camps are behind us and the season is set to start. Chris, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday. Hey, Paul, long time no talk. (laughs) (laughs) A little behind the scenes magic. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, for people who are, are listening, we're doing a little bit of home and home here, basically. I just uh, recorded a podcast with Chris for Harris Football, and now he was gracious enough to record one here for Saturday to Sunday. So, Chris, the the NFL season is basically it's basically here now. We're you know a week or so away, uh, you know, for people and. The rookies are always an interesting one, and I always love having you on right before the season starts because. I think you do a really good job at fighting back the mass hysteria that often builds with each and every year's rookie class. So, so let's kind of start there. Like, has it been a little bit harder for you to do that with the fact that we had some guys come in recently and put up historical seasons, Justin Jefferson last year, you know, we've seen guys come in and make a more immediate impact in fantasy a lot quicker than what we used to see has that changed your philosophy at all in terms of having a little bit more reservations about rookies and making an immediate impact no next question (laughs) (laughs) well so of course justin jefferson is the is the cudgel that everybody um drags out to say see see it's possible but if if you just do like pure regression, pure statistical analysis on rookie ADP and performance, it's really rough. It's really bad, which isn't really the way to do it. It's not it's not fair to just go immediately. OK, wherever every rookie is in average draft position for fantasy leagues, I'm going to lower them 15 spots like, you know, you should look at them as individual players. To some degree, you should look at their situations. You should muster your opinion of how it's going to go in general based on those factors. But for me, usually based on those factors, there's so much that's unknown and unknowable that the top guys, I'm just not, you know, Justin Jefferson wasn't getting drafted high. He was free. So like there was no problem. If somebody had said, no, I'm, I'm really set on taking the other LSU receiver in the 14th round, I'd have been like, more power to you. Great investment. Who knows? Maybe he'll be good. And frankly, anybody who did that probably then cut him last week after week one because he didn't do anything. Um you know the, the the real issue comes down to those those mega hyped guys the guys who wind up going in the first couple of rounds and i just i still feel like mostly they're unknowns to the degree that if i'm going to compare them against knowns i'm prob they're probably not going to come out on top a lot of the time whereas i think a lot of people's gut reaction is the exact opposite well i know what that guy is he's okay but i don't think he can be the rb1 clyde edwards or lair on the other hand my god he could be the rb1 that dude's unbelievable uh and you know we saw how that worked out um this year it seems like there's really only one name I guess there's two if we if we include Kyle Pitts, but really it's it Najee Harris is the only one you're having to build your entire team around. And as much as I love him as a prospect, I don't think I can do that. Yeah, I mean Najee Harris, 
you know, he, his ADP now is up there somewhere in like the mid-second round, sometimes early second round. And, you know, he's going near names like Joe Mixon, Antonio Gibson. Have you found yourself in a situation where you'll pivot to either of those two running backs or the wide receiver position over a guy like Harris, where while other people are more in line with, let's say, Harris, the workload, this and that, are you more pivoting away from him and, and going to a guy like Mixon or Gibson or a receiver at that point? It's not on purpose that I'm pivoting away. I just don't have him rated as high. As much as I really like him, I don't know for sure what he is. And I, I feel like I have a really good idea now what Antonio Gibson is. I feel like I have a really good idea what Joe Mixon can be if he stays healthy. So I, I'm i not even going to tell you it's because I'm worried about the Steelers' offensive line. Sure, there's some of that. I'm worried that it's a really pass-heavy offense. Okay, but Najee probably can catch the ball. Like, I, I'll, I just, it just comes down to I don't know for sure that he can play in the NFL and how long it will take him to get to the point where, I mean, Jonathan Taylor's rookie season looks good now. How, how did it look in mid November? You know, and I'm a big Jonathan Taylor fan. I was, I was apologizing to people for about 10 weeks last year when he's the, whatever he was, the RB 18 in a season where everybody got hurt. He was the RB 18. And then for the rest of the year, after that point, like from week 11 on, he was RB two. Like, I don't need that. I don't need that. That like, will like the Steelers eventually will figure out how to use Najee and, and he'll be awesome way too late for me because I took him in the freaking first round. Um, so, so I am not taking him. I don't have a single team of all the teams I've drafted. I, I don't take him. I mean, I'll give you an anecdotal thing with a experts thing that I do every year with CBS, the guys at CBS, I was picking 11th and, uh, the first 10 picks were nine running backs and a tight end. And so it's like, could I take Najee Harris there? I can. Yeah. But if I'm choosing between Najee Harris and Devonte Adams, let's not be a slave to fashion here. Let's take Devonte Adams. Cause that's crazy. Then the guy behind me took, uh, Harris and Eckler. Cause he was like, gotta get running backs. So I took Tyree kill. So my running backs aren't, aren't that good, but I, I just think, if you're if you're feeling like darn it, I got caught on the end of a run and I have to take Najee Harris because he's the last running back I like, you just I just wouldn't do that. I don't like to draft like that. Don't let the draft room decide your draft strategy. Draft based on what you think of the players. Yeah, I think that's a really good strategy. And let's stick with the running backs and also maybe even talk about what the the draft you were just talking about. You know, maybe you ended up having to come up with this decision a little bit later based on your start. If we look at the other two rookies, obviously Travis Etienne out the year, so we'll leave him off to the side for now. Javante Williams, Trey Sermon are the next guys that are obviously being drafted, redraft dynasty. Do you Look at those guys, and I'll ask a two-part question. In terms of dynasty, do you have a clear preference between, is it just the draft capital of Williams, or is it potentially you like Sermon more on film? I know you've done some work on him. And then in terms of redraft, do you find yourself leaning more towards the incumbent, the veteran that's on that team, or do you see yourself a little bit more rolling of the dice and going with the young player before the veteran? Right. So for for dynasty... I, I I have a hard time picking between them, to be honest. They're really close. I think I might have Javante Williams RB. This would be like uh, in a in a total from scratch type dynasty situation. I, I would have like Javante Williams 23, Trey Sermon 24. I like them both. I think Sermon might have a little more upside in his career. If he hits, he could hit big. Whereas maybe I feel like Javante Williams is a safer like double to the, to the gap. You know, he's, he's good. He's going to be a good player. I also, let's just say, if, if people are hearing me for the first time on Paul's podcast, you know way more about these guys than I do. 
I'm not a college scout. A lot of my learning and liking of players is a, is listening to you and listening to my other friends in the business of college scouting and trying, and then, you know, watching some film myself. So you're being charitable when you say I, I've done work on Trey Sermon. Our YouTube channel has done some work on Trey Sermon that I, that I gratefully watched. <laughs> I did not produce. So please don't, nobody listening should take me as the expert. I'm, I'm much more kind of talking about how I'm integrating them into my fantasy uh, perspective of things like where I would draft them and stuff. And so I, I like a uh, long-term, I, I like them both. And I think they both merit pretty, you know, RB2 type futures. They're, they're both going to be good. Um, and RB2s are valuable, right? Well, clearly. So it's, you mentioned Devontae Williams and I talked about that CBS team. In fact, Paul, <laughs> yeah, going as, going as zero RB as I accidentally did. I really did. I took Jacobs in the fourth round and then Mahomes was there in the fifth. So I have uh, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, uh, Pat Mahomes, just Josh Jacobs. And guess what? I better go find some players. So Javante Williams wound up on the team. Kareem Hunt wound up on the team and Trey Sermon was still there. And I took Javante Williams over him. I think that's appropriate in redraft. Um, as much as I'm excited about, uh, the Shanahan offense and there's a lot of potential for just a lot of running backs in a Niners offense to be good. And I like Sermon's upside quite a bit. Um, I feel like maybe Williams is a, a little more established and maybe a little more ready to contribute right away uh, and maybe saddled with a little bit less of a second due to second banana. So uh, I, I, I had the choice and I thought about it, but I take, I took Williams over, over sermon. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's more of what the ADP is out there in terms of what people are doing. Would it be that, if you're talking Sermon or his teammate Mostert, would you would you go for the upside of Sermon or kind of based on maybe how the structure of your team was, if you wanted to kind of be a little bit on the safer side, or would you roll the dice with the upside, or is it kind of based on maybe where the rest of your draft had kind of played out? Maybe a little, a little bit. I, I have Sermon one spot ahead. I'm twenty nine okay. and thirty among running backs, and I I did I planted a flag because I do that flag flag planning weird thing on my show on Sermon. Like I I want. I want to be in the sermon business, but also in the couple of weeks since I did that sermon's ADP has now gone ahead of Mostert's ADP. It wasn't that way. Right. And then, and now it is. So maybe, maybe I feel like, okay, at that price now, I think it's fair ish, you know, maybe within a round or so of the, the Trey sermon price. I think the answer is I'd rather have sermon. I feel like I've seen what Raheem Mostert is. First of all, what he is, is, is hurt a lot of the time. And then I'm not, you know, I, I get Tevin Coleman vibes and not just because they were on the same team. There's there's a speed element that every announcer will tell you about. Oh, he's so fast. Former track star Raheem Mostert. I don't know if he necessarily always finds where he's supposed to go unless it's just a wide open gaping hole. And I think, for example, Trey Sermon can mostly do exactly that when when, when it's wide open. Trey Sermon can go and is fast, too, and no problem. Um I just trust Sermon maybe a little more when he's got to weave in and out of traffic. And I've never really seen Mostert be good at that. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And, you know, if we're talking dynasty for a second here, less running back question I want to ask you is how do you kind of evaluate now a guy like Travis Eaty? And if you were going to get, share your advice to people who are in the dynasty game, he was a guy, obviously, great collegiate player, you know, first round pick. And then now out a whole season, it's not a ACL, it's not an Achilles, but it's obviously his foot kind of important for a running back. How do you kind of, <laughs> how, how do you kind of, like, if you were going to give somebody advice on Travis Ethian, is it, is it just like, 
I don't know. Is it still get them if you can get them on the cheap? If you have them, you just hold and wait. Is, any advice for a, a rookie, like a very highly regarded rookie who obviously now is going to miss his whole first year due to an injury? So I'll preface the 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 answer by saying I don't think anybody really knows yet like what quote unquote the, how the market is valuing him given what happened. I'm not sure that there's a lot of panicking ETN sellers out there right now because the the wise dynasty owner doesn't sell this super distressed asset that they drafted fourth in their rookie draft doesn't sell him for like nothing. Usually, you know, if you, if you can get him for nothing, I would do it. I don't, I don't think this injury figures to be a long-term problem. I, he should be just fine next year, but this year counts. Like if I, if I were doing a rookie draft right now for dynasty, well, I don't think Travis Etienne be a first round pick because I really want my first round pick to contribute this year. And I'm pretty sure of all the guys that are <laughs> in the draft, pretty sure he's not going to contribute this year. Uh, and yet that said, if someone said, um, you know, you, you can have him for Robbie Anderson, I would go, yep. Let's do it. Like I, I would, I would be willing to take him on. Um, would he be like? Let's put it this way, another way. Like in a startup dynasty draft, would he be a top hundred pick? Probably not. I probably wouldn't take him that high. Even though I think in the long term he's going to be a really good player. There's every reason to like him as much as you liked him this year. In the future, it's just that 2021 also really, really counts. And I want to win this year. And I, of, of anybody drafted in the top 100, he's the one I'm positive isn't going to contribute this year. So based on what you just said about the top 100, he would definitively be after Javante Williams and Trey Sermon if you were doing a startup dynasty draft right now. Definitively, yeah. And that's entirely just philosophically because I'd like to win this year too, please. And (laughs) Etienne was definitely ahead of those guys, definitely ahead of those guys, all all through the process, all through the summer. I was trying to fight the battle that, like, don't freak out too much about the way Urban Meyer's been treating him and don't worry too. You know, I think this is a lot of, like, rookie hazing and trying to adjust the expectations of the kid and all that stuff. And and now with the injury and and with the small but X percent chance that the injury saps him of something and he's never quite the same, I, I would take him after. Yeah, I think that makes sense. If we if we pivot over to the quarterback position here and listen, there it's super early. It's been preseason, but just from my perspective here, what we do at Saturday to Sunday in terms of evaluating these guys, this was this was probably since I've been doing Saturday to Sunday now five full years and five full draft classes. I haven't had a quarterback class come in that I've been more intrigued with in terms of potential NFL franchise quarterbacks and then far and away most intrigue in terms of fantasy football, the game that we like talking about so much. When you look at these quarterbacks, we could start with a first overview in terms of dynasty and then uh, more of a a redraft. In in dynasty, do you have a clear pecking order if we're going to say the big three in terms of Lawrence, Fields, and Lance in terms of that? And then in terms of Redraft value, we obviously know in one quarterback league, sometimes these guys kind of get lost in the mix there, right? It's just a quarterback too, unless they really start having a great rookie year. But kind of how do you see these quarterbacks? Are you as intrigued with them based on their dual capabilities and what you've seen in whatever you've watched so far of these guys or watched, you know, some of these guys played at major colleges, obviously not Trey Lance, but in terms of you've, you've seen them on Saturdays in, in big spots at times. 
Um, I'm intrigued. Sure. I, that's a low bar being intrigued, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a low bar. Um, I have all three of them in my top 12 overall quarterbacks for dynasty, which is a pretty ringing endorsement, you know, for, for you for sure. <laughs> yeah. For, like it's a ringing endorsement because I recognize the extent to which, well, Justin Fields has the potential to be as crazy for fantasy as Lamar Jackson. He's that good of a runner. He's maybe not quite as fast and he's not quite as, you know, but he's 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 right there, man. I don't I, people excited about Kyler Murray should be excited about Justin Fields. He's that level of an electric runner. And and if and in fantasy, I kind of get to. To me, in my way of thinking, sort of unfortunately, disregard the questions we have about him as a thrower. He just needs to be good enough to be a bear for a long time. He should run quite a bit for several years and be one of those one of those cheat code guys. And Trey Lance is a different kind of runner and probably not as exciting fantasy yardage wise as a runner, but maybe more developed as a thrower. And we have fewer questions about him as a thrower. And I think that's almost certainly why he went higher than fields did fields felt like more like, okay, let's see if we can turn him into a passer. Whereas most of the folks who do what you do said, there are questions about Lance. There are definitely level questions about Trey Lance. He, he only played like 13 meaningful games in college at a level that wasn't anything near than the other dudes played, but that, He'd just been exposed to all the pro concepts already and seemed to get them as a thrower and 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 he will run and he can be Josh Allen as a runner. Uh so just dynasty wise, I, I can't imagine and then and then actually I have Lawrence ahead of all of them because I think Lawrence probably will run some too. Maybe not as an as a as like a primary pursuit, but holy moly, like it'll be enough and he's a really good thrower. He just he's sunshine, man. He's he's the real deal. Uh they're all really good for dynasty. For redraft, they're not that good. I wouldn't really, I wouldn't feel comfortable with any of them as a quarterback one. I've taken fields a bunch in like round eight. I'll just be like, I've, you know, I've already, I often don't have a quarterback yet. I'll wait and wait and wait and then be like, all right, fields at eight, at round eight with the intention of absolutely not playing him week one, maybe not playing in September. So then in round 11, I take Tua or I take Big Ben or something and I'm, and I, because that's part of the waiting strategy of quarterback, but with the bonus that the kid who won't be playing for me at first might just wreck the league when he does. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with everything you just said there in terms of these guys' upsides and potential. And I do think, and we when I was on your show before the NFL draft, Fields was a guy that we talked about a lot. And and I'm I'm under the belief that there's less question marks about his passing ability than, than we had about Lamar Jackson when he was coming out. And I don't think it's particularly close from, from what I saw on their college film. And I think a lot of the, the questions that kind of developed in the pre-draft process were very much things that he just wasn't asked to do because he didn't need to do them at Ohio State. And I think I'm really intrigued to kind of see – you know, and obviously Chicago is not a great team, so we're going to get an opportunity to see. He's not going to be clearly superior with superior surrounding cast. But I think there's more to his passing capabilities than meets the eye, which is why I get so excited about him, because we know he's got that rushing ability. Like you said, if he's not Lamar, he could be 80 percent, 85 percent of Lamar. But I think the passing is more advanced. And that kind of intrigues me with him. I agree with you, Lance, not the same level of runner, but I think he's on that Steve McNair, Josh Allen type of spectrum. Could be very good near the goal line uh, as well. But like you, I have Trevor Lawrence ahead of them because I do think Trevor Lawrence 
is the the total package. And I do think there are some people who maybe didn't follow him as closely in college who are, don't understand the type of athleticism he has too, that yes, it'll never be his primary read, but could he offer what Andrew Luck once upon a time offered? Can he offer what Daniel Jones, just in terms of the rushing capability, has done in, in the first couple of years of his NFL career? I think that is a – I think Lawrence is more athletic than those two guys. So I think he could definitely be at least what that is if Jacksonville allows him to. So really intrigued by all three of those guys to kind of see how it plays out. If we pivot over to – the pass catchers. And let's start with the tight end and the unicorn that is Kyle Pitts. I've listened to your show. I know you, <laughs> he's, he's a guy who. The, you, the, you, I just love the resignation in your voice. <laughs> you, 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 but you've also admitted, unless I'm remembering incorrectly, that he could be, he was on your list of guys that what if I'm just wrong on, right? That's like, right. or, or yep. he was at least talked about in that episode. I don't know if it was you yep. or your guests, but. That was me. He's one of those guys that, and I know you've had on say Bloom, who's at the one end of the spectrum in terms of in terms of loving him as well. You know, we know it's a position that you historically, and you talked about before, like right when we started the episode, right on historically the the, the evidence isn't great in terms of rookies in general, and it really isn't good about tight ends. Is that kind of where you think you sit on that and you just have to say, listen, I'm just going to play the odds on this one with him. And if he is so good, so fast, I'm going to miss out, but, but, but it's so rare that it happens. I'm okay. Missing out. Is that kind of the approach you're taking for year one with Kyle Pitts? Yeah. Fourth round, man, fourth round. It's just, that's too much of a leap of faith that he's, I believe that he's going to be worth a, a second, third, fourth round pick in a year or two, but year one, it's just, I, I don't, I think the, it's overstating the case to say, I'm worried he'll be blocking. No, I'm just worried that the NFL is really hard and it's probably the hardest position to learn in the NFL tight end. It's just, you have to do so many different things. The idea that he's never going to block, I just think is stupid, but you know, even if he blocks a little bit and mostly as a slot receiver, it's just so hard to play that position. They're going to be awesome moments, but you know, TJ Hawkinson has awesome moments too. Like, we're not drafting Kyle Pitts where we draft TJ Hawkinson. It's a lot earlier. So I just, yes, I admit that there's a chance that he's just different from everyone else and will break the mold and we'll look back and say, ah, it wound up being worth it. But my experience doing this tells me that the irrational exuberance will wind up just being irrational, that, that he'll look awesome for a couple of games, but then he'll hurt his foot because it's a hard, it's a hard league, you know, and then he'll be out for a couple of games and then he'll be, kind of bad for a couple games but then he'll be back on track again it'll be great again but it'll be too late and then the falcons will trade matt ryan and then you know just a, it's the nfl things it's just so hard to be good in the nfl right away yeah i mean and while i do think he's going to be a high level elite level player down the line i do think year one is a little bit of an unknown so you are passing up on some really high level players that you have He's being drafted at close to his ceiling, maybe not at his ceiling of what he could be this year, but he would have to put up a, a historical year to be close to George Kittle or Darren Waller, who are only going like around potentially earlier than him in, in some drafts. It, it just, it, you're, it doesn't seem that the ADP is baking in for any learning curve. And then you mentioned it, and I know you talk about it all the time. 
the the crutch argument that it can go oh julio jones is not there that can go both ways right like mm-hmm. it can yeah. you know like it, it's one of those things that i get all those targets have been removed from the offense but if julio jones was still there and i think atlanta made a mistake you know, when they kept Matt Ryan, I thought they should have ran it back with Julio. Maybe he didn't want to be there, but that's a different story for a different day. But if Julio was there, you could easily make the argument that, okay, it's hard. It's going to be hard for defense to give too much attention to the rookie when they have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley there. So I don't necessarily think just because that argument that uh, feels like is very much being pushed out there as, oh, we liked him, but now we love him right now because Julio's not there. There's all this opportunity, there's all these targets. I could easily see the the counter argument to that is, yeah, defenses understand that too now, right? There's Calvin Ridley, <laughs> and then there's Kyle Pitts, and there's really not much else there. So defenses are, know that's the case, and if Julio is still there, there's only so many guys you can double, right? And Julio and Calvin Ridley are, are pretty good at football. That Yeah, yeah there might have been more instances that a – at average safety athletically was on Kyle Pitts or a linebacker. And that could really lead to a big play, but teams are going to come in with a game plan of trying to avoid having a average linebacker or an average athletic safety covering Kyle Pitts. They're going to have a different plan of attack, especially with him being the second theoretically option in that offense. So give me interesting to kind of see him and how quickly uh, you know, he really starts making fantasy noise in terms of does he live up even close to those expectations? If we transition over to the wide receivers, because no other tight ends really need to be discussed. Any, and I know you're not someone who follows the preseason play-by-play, every single beat reporter. I know he dropped the ball. I know know he dropped the ball. (laughs) Yeah. Should, should, Should there be any level of concern about what Jamar Chase has done Yes, he's taken a year off. He took a year off. That, to me, is what I keep chalking up every negative report I see to. I'm not having any resistance in drafting him and aggressively drafting him uh, in terms of the rookies, in, in, in relatively speaking, not like going over the top, but in terms of the, of the rookie wide receivers, he's still the one that intrigues me the most. Uh, I know there's other guys there. Where do you kind of stand on Chase? I don't know off the top of my head. I've seen your ranks. Don't remember him. Where do you kind of have him with the other two Bengals receivers in terms of the way maybe you would approach them and redraft right now? They're uh, the two, the two main guys, Higgins and, and chase are close. I've chased like a spot or two ahead. They're both top 30. Uh, I like them both. They're both good players. And I assume that this is nothing, but does it, does it mean absolutely nothing? Well, no, it doesn't mean absolutely nothing that he dropped the ball a bunch because we don't know the extent to which his confidence could could get shaken. We won't know it until we see it. It'll be easy for the armchair, uh, you know, NFL media industrial complex to say, "Ah, see, it turned out that he was a head case the whole time," uh, or it'll be completely forgotten and everyone will just be like, "See, told you he was great." You know, it's we won't know until we know whether this was real, whether it was, whether it's actually the yips or whether it's just, meh, it happens, man. Like I've caught the ball a lot in my life. And so I'm going to be fine. It's, I, I've, I've also dropped a lot of passes and you should, you should have seen my practices with, with LSU. Like, I don't know. I, I, I haven't lowered him at any, any, if anything, it's a buying opportunity, but by the same token, I've seen him go in the fourth round and 
I think that's a little high. I don't think I would go that far. I, I, I you know, fifth round. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm getting there. Sixth round, yeah, that's that's where I would want to get him, and and where I would want to get T Higgins. Not both in the same team, but that's the right neighborhood from the for them. A good a good comparison would be like, would you take Jamar Chase to be your say high level wide receiver three, or would you take Michael Thomas, knowing that you're only getting a half a year out of him? And I will say that most of the time I've taken Thomas when I've had that choice, when it's been like sixth round. That's usually about where they go. But I can easily see that backfiring for all sorts of reasons that Thomas isn't healthy, that Jameis Winston's awful, that, that Thomas hates the Saints and doesn't want to come back. Like, who knows? And Chase belongs in the conversation as a really talented upside type receiver. But nice, the nice part about it is that he just never got the kind of hype that made him wide receiver 14, you know, or whatever. And, and you, therefore you were just going to be like out on him because you knew that it didn't account for any downside. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think the negative reports has kind of kept his ADP in check and kind of almost pushed it down a little bit that I think six round six is now, you know, a good spot to take him where round four, you would have been bypassing guys. You felt a lot more comfortable uh, this year in terms of what type of production they were going to bring. If we pivot over to the Alabama guys, I think this is an interesting talking point because I know where you stand in terms of being a believer in Tua still, and I know you have reservations on Jalen Hurts. Is that is it as simple as looking at Jalen Waddle and his former teammate Devonta Smith in terms of what they could bring year one? Is it as simple for you as go with the quarterback you feel more comfortable with, or is it trying to say, you know, this guy was a little bit more polished, historical? collegiate season last year um how do you kind of look at those two guys in terms of first overall dynasty and then the second part which was what i started with was in redraft is it the same guy for each setting or is it different so i'd say for um for dynasty it's closer for me i i i again don't consider myself you know, entirely a college scout. I don't want to like palm myself off as someone you should definitely get all of, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you a lot of the time uh, and, and my other friends. And, and then, you know, I, I, I paid attention, especially uh, in the preseason. And I'm, you know me, I'm not going to pay attention to that much preseason work, but I paid attention to, um, to Devonte Smith because he was coming back from a knee injury that sounded bad. Like for a couple of weeks there, they were like, Ooh, is it going to be bad? And then he was back. I really wanted to see what the routes looked like in that preseason game against the Patriots and just came away thinking, man, I mean, he's going to get open. I don't know that he's going to hold up. He's tiny. He's, you know, he's already had a knee injury, but man, that dude's going to get open with route running, not just with being fast. Like he's fast, but he's not Jalen Waddle fast. So that, that has really guided me towards maybe, you know, People at the at the top end say, boy, oh boy, what if Jalen Waddle is Tyreek Hill because of the speed? I hear that you know, you hear that a lot now about everybody who's fast. Everybody's the next Tyreek Hill. And it's if it was easy to be the next Tyreek Hill, there'd be a lot of take Tyreek Hills in the league. Um so I I'll I'll probably err on the side of who, the guy I perceive to be the safe, the safer bet. Um, both in redraft and in dynasty, but um, this year I feel like Devontae Smith I think should be taken ahead of Jalen Waddle. I think that's right. 
I, it's not so much about depth chart and clearly it's not about quarterback. Cause you're right. I prefer to, to, to um, the kid in Philly. Uh, and then, but, but just because I think one of them is going to get open just cause he runs unbelievable routes and long-term, uh, you know, ask me one day, I'll probably answer one way. Ask me the other way. I'll, you know, I'm, I, I'd say Smith by whisker in my rookie ranks. I have Smith four and Waddle five behind Kyle, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Najee Harris, like not in the reverse order. So I'm, I'm hedging a lot more with dynasty. You could probably right now in this conversation, convince me I'm wrong on Waddle Smith long-term. No, I mean, I, I think it's very close between them. Like I do think the ceiling on Jalen Waddle might be a little bit higher because yes, I think every year somebody is incorrectly penciled to the next Tyreek Hill, but I do think, I don't know if we're ever going to have someone who resembles Tyreek Hill, but if we were going to say over the last five, four or five years, someone coming out is the closest that we've seen to what Tyreek Hill can bring to a football field. I do think it is Jalen Waddell, but we didn't obviously know Tyreek Hill was going to be this good of a player coming out. Obviously Jalen Waddell much higher, uh, you know, in terms of drafts pedigree and stuff like that. We're going to Alabama, but I do think Devonta Smith is the safer player so it's one of those things where I have Devonta Smith literally right above them, but I do have them very close to each other because I do think it can go either or. And if somebody says, I want to shoot for the higher upside, I think that is Jalen Waddle. Uh, but I do think Smith's got a high upside too, just maybe not as high as him. So I do think they're, they're really close. So I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think uh, the argument really could be made for either one of them. Final question of the night. I know you had a lot of had to write a lot of profiles for your almanac. Is there one other rookie wide receiver from if you if you watched them at all or when you were writing their their profiles? Is there somebody else from the rookies from Terrace Marshall out of Carolina, Elijah Moore from the Jets, Rondell Moore from Arizona. Obviously, Rashad Bateman's going to be out a while now, so we can kind of leave him off to the side. We haven't seen anything of Kadarius Tony. He's been MIA for a while. Is there somebody maybe from that Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, Rondell Moore group that you're like, okay, I can see taking a flyer on him. I'm, I, I, I'm intrigued by him in terms of what I think he maybe could be. Yeah, I keep taking Elijah Moore. And it's, it's funny. It feels like I've been zigging when the market's been sagging on him all through like late July, all the way through August. It felt like the Elijah Moore hype train was, was going to have him like in the, you know, sixth round at some point. And I was going to be like, well, he's a bust for me in the sixth round. You know, no, no value there. And Jamison Crowder resigned, which was a surprise. And then Elijah Moore himself hurt his quad and missed a couple weeks and it's felt like just everything the bottom fell out of his draft stock people he's gone undrafted in a bunch of leagues you know he's he's like the 150th rated overall player on fantasy pros or something like that so it just felt like elijah moore is like free and don't know anything about the quarterback yet nobody does like the extent to which we'll see what he's like as a rookie in the nfl and don't think it's a good offensive line and don't think it's a good offense and don't imagine great things for anybody there but also know enough having done this long time enough to to not completely close the door on any team's offense being pretty good and or at least good enough to sustain other you know some fantasy weapons if the work congeals around them and also hearing in camp that a lot of observers were impressed that there were times that elijah moore looked like he could play outside because with at his size i think people kind of assumed all right well fun college player but 
you know, probably likely to play in the slot in the NFL. If he turns out to be a DJ Moore type, who's just one of those little muscly bundles of anger, little ball of hate, you know, uh, a Steve Smith type too. Like if he can play on the outside and just get off press coverage because he's just that mean and nasty and quick and whatever, then he could play on the field when Crowder's out there and that would be really great. So Elijah Moore, definitely the one that I've, he's on a ton of my teams uh, all the way through August. Yeah, and I think you hit it spot on where the hype was getting out of control, but then that injury kind of maybe partially Corey Davis looking really good in preseason. You know, people do get swayed by that more than they probably should. It seems to have now pushed Elijah Moore back way down uh, because we haven't kind of out of sight, out of mind, right? If he had a couple of really good moments in preseason, I'm sure, you know, the the hysteria around him would have continued to grow. But I do think I agree with you. I like Terrace Marshall. I like Rondell Moore. I think they're going to be interesting pieces in their offenses. And if something happened to one of their other receivers, I can really see them uh, being fantasy viable consistently. I think they'll have spike weeks here or there. But Elijah Moore would be the guy that I'd come back to as well, that I do think there's opportunity there. And and you're right, the, the inside-outside thing I think is – the most interesting thing is because it sounded like before this injury that they were planning on playing him outside, uh, you know, on three wide receiver sets with Crowder on the inside. And if that's the case, well, then is he out there in two wide receiver sets just with Corey Davis, right? So that that's something that I think is going to be really intriguing. And he's a guy that I did really like on film a lot. Like he's a guy who, you know, I thought could be one day and, you know, as you always reference him as the phylum, that guy that, you know, just small, but, you know, can in and out of his breaks and separation quickness and just gets open at will. And he, he had some of that. Now, obviously at college, it's different than what I'll see in the NFL, but he's definitely the guy that I'd be right there. Uh, most intrigued with after the big break. So Chris, thank you so much uh, for hopping on here and, and talking to some of these rookies with me to kind of preview the start of the NFL season from the rookie perspective, please. I'm sure most of my audience is already following you, but please uh, let my audience know where they can follow you. Uh, anything else you kind of want to promote, uh, please do so. <laughs> oh, what do I want to promote? I don't know, man. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> follow me at Harris football, I guess on Twitter. Well, I will do some promoting for Chris. Make sure you're oh, checking out his, make sure you're checking out his YouTube channel. I I found it really uh, interesting to get a deeper perspective in terms of a film analysis on these guys. And I'll say it every single year: if you are playing fantasy football and you're not listening to his podcast at least on Monday and Tuesday, you should be listening all the time. But if you're not listening on Monday and Tuesday, you're doing it wrong. They're oh, the only podcast where he will give you actual film analysis in terms of what the players look like and not just from a box score perspective which is what you will often get out uh from so many other uh, places out there which has its merit but it's really good to know in terms of what the player looks like and how they produce those uh the numbers that they got or maybe what the numbers could have been in a scenario that the box score isn't showing so make sure you are definitely checking out Chris's weekly show. Uh, I mean, his weekly podcast on Monday and Tuesday when he does the recaps of every single week uh, at the bare minimum. And check out his YouTube channel. Go go by the almanac if uh, you still have drafts <laughs> left to do. So I will do the promoting for you, Chris. I, well, I'm glad you said it because obviously I agree. I'm the greatest, but <laughs> I, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> 
If you follow me at Harris Football, eventually you'll get the gist. But that's very all very nice of you to say. Thanks, Paul. It's really nice of you. Absolutely. Thank you again for hopping on the show. Always appreciate it. So on behalf of Chris, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.